Welcome to To Every Generation, the broadcast ministry of Calvary Chapel Crossfields, located in Jamesburg, New Jersey, where we teach through the entire Bible, verse by verse, and make application to every generation so we can grow in our relationship with God. This morning we're going to be in various scriptures, and the title of this morning's message, and I've been excited since last week to teach this, is, Did God Really Say? In Genesis 3, uh, Satan comes to Eve, and Adam and Eve had got instructions from the Lord about certain things, what to do, what not to do. Satan comes to Eve through the serpent, and he, you know, it's funny, the satanic world doesn't say to us, there's no God, you know, don't, don't believe in God because they know that it's not going to have much of an effect. It's done more subtly. So he, Eve, he says to Eve, did God really say, did he really give you these instructions? He tries to tie her up uh, mentally and he does. And Adam goes along with it. But you could be sitting in your living room today and somebody knocks on the door, doot, 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 Saturday at 11 o'clock. And they say, hey, we're Christians. We'd like to come in and talk to you for a moment. And they will say to you, because I've spoken to them for years, did God's word really say that Jesus is God? This is why we need to know our scripture, folks, whether it comes to prophecy, which we just discussed, or the nature of who Jesus is. These things are extremely important, and we're going to talk about why they're important. So for the sake of time, because I don't want to keep you here for hours, uh, there's two lists in the scripture, whether Old Testament, New Testament, that speak about Yeshua or the Messiah. One list, you can see Jesus as a man. It's very clear. He sleeps, he eats, he's tired, he, you know, walks, right? So for the sake of time, let's concede to all of those scriptures. Jesus was a man in the incarnation. But remember, he existed pre-incarnation and post-resurrection and ascension. There's another column, which I really want to focus on this morning, because even Christians struggle with the whole deity of Christ and the Trinity. There's a whole other column that speaks about Jesus as God. And those are the things that we're going to focus on this morning. And we're going to look at this in three parts. And also in your bulletins is a little handout. If you didn't get it, um, come see one of us before you leave. We'll give you one. And it's pretty much all of the notes and all the scriptures I'm going to go through So that when you go home, if you're like, wow, that was a lot of information. I didn't have enough carbohydrates and be complex this morning. Um, So when you go home, you can look at that in your spare time and maybe take some time to actually flip back and forth and see the scriptures that. And that's the type of church that we are. We don't hide anything. You have all Bibles in front of you. We're going to put scripture on the screen and live stream. We're going to have scripture up on the, the we're going to have scripture everywhere so that you see. What we're saying is what's reflected in the Bible. So we're going to look at this in three parts. The first thing is very important. First out of three is rules of interpretation. Rules of interpretation. So if you're a nurse and you're giving a uh, treatment or a, uh, a medication to one of your patients and you go to take the syringe and put it in the IV line, I don't know any nurse who's still employed who pulls the syringe back and goes, well, that looks like enough, and puts it in there, and, hey, I hope they do okay. There are all these strict procedures. We have half a dozen nurses in our church that you have to follow, otherwise you kill the patient. There's rules in medicine and care. When Boeing goes to build another plane, 
they have to consider that the wing in, in mid-flight isn't going to fall off and the thing's going to nosedive and kill all those passengers. So there's rules in engineering. There's also rules of interpretation. People who are paleographers, people who are translators, uh, there's teams of them. Some translations, there's upwards of close to 100 that all get into a room, and it takes them months to translate the old dead languages into English or Swahili or French or whatever Bible they're trying to translate it to, and they have to follow strict rules of interpretation. So we're going to look at it a few things. We're going to look at dispensation. We're going to look at context. I always talk about context. Context context of the translation and context of the passage. And we're going to look at kenosis, and I'm going to explain what kenosis is for those who don't know. So A is dispensation. Dispensation is a big word. It's got four syllables. And uh, it basically means different rules for different eras. How God deals with his people under the law, big difference when the Messiah came, big difference because he fulfilled the law. So you might say, you look at the two things, you go, oh, okay, when Jesus came, he fulfilled the law. So there's, our relationship to the law is different now. So these are different dispensations. Okay, and I'll just go through it real quick because I covered this in Revelation 11. Elijah calls down fire from heaven a few times in the Old Testament. In Revelation 11, the two witnesses, Earth's future, come back and call down fire from heaven more than once. And somewhere in the middle of the disciples who say to Jesus, yeah, we know the Bible, we know who Elijah is, that, those people are being disobedient. Can we call fire down from heaven? And Jesus rebukes them and says, you don't know what manner of spirit you are. Wait a minute. Before, after, during, why is this a problem? Because it's a different dispensation, right? This was the age of grace, the age of the church the age of mercy. Okay. Okay. So that's dispensation. Um, context for the translation, right? Context for translation. Unfortunately, people today, when, when I teach, listen, I'm not a, a Greek uh, scholar. I've studied Greek under a professor. I can translate Greek. I will not go the distance or I will not step over the line and say, I am a scholar because I am not. When I use the Greek, it's to bring out the flavor of what the translators already translated. Here's the problem with, and I love eSword. People load, uh, upload, download, something load eSword onto their computers, and they start going into the, the lexicons and looking at every Greek and Hebrew word, and they start to change the meaning of what the scripture says. You can't do that, okay? First of all, you have uh, grammatical issues. You have context you have conjugation of verbs, okay? Uh, and I did good in English. I actually, in high school, I was in honors English. So I understand, English major back there. Uh, so I understand the rules of English. When you translate English or you speak English, got to follow rules. So you have context with respect to the translation, okay? Context with respect to the passage. In other words, Jesus, and, and people will do this, there's a few portions of scripture where Jesus is teaching his disciples to pray. And when you pray, pray like this, our father who art in heaven, um, when you pray, don't be repetitive like the heathen do. It didn't mean that Jesus was a man and he wasn't fully God and fully man. It just meant that in context, he was showing his disciples how to pray so that when he left, they would know how to pray if they didn't yet. Right? So, is Jesus fully man? Yes, but he's also fully God. But he was teaching his disciples. It didn't mean that he was less than the Father. Remember, you have God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Okay. 
see kenosis, kenosis. That's a word in the Greek, and it comes from Philippians 2, 5 through 7, which says, the Apostle Paul says, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, check this out, being in the form of God. Jesus is God. He's in the form of God. He's in the substance of God. Did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. Of course he didn't consider it robbery because he is God. He made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. So he made himself of no reputation. That Greek word is kanao, which means to abase or empty. Now, this is the, you don't have to worry about this, but this is the discussion that Bible scholars and pastors have amongst each other. And probably might come up in uh, apologetics classes. How much did Jesus empty himself to take on the form of fully man, yet retaining fully God? How much did he abase himself? How much did he give up to come here? It's like it was sort of a hybrid situation. He's the God man, fully God, fully man. So here's some examples. Number one, when God took on the form of a man, he ended up limiting himself. He's in the form of a man. So he's not omnipresent because he's got two arms and two legs and his deity is contained in that form. Right? He needed to eat. He needed to sleep. If he said, well, I'm God, I'm just not going to eat and sleep, wouldn't take but a week, and he would never go to the cross because his body would have died. So he had to, when he took on the form of fully man, he had to limit himself. And, you know, you got to have to choose my words carefully um, in, in his deity. You see where we're going with this? So fully God, fully man, this is what you have. Now, unfortunately, we're seeing, um, you've heard of revisionist history, we're we're seeing revisionist biblical history. There are some churches that are teaching things that are absolutely bizarre. And sometimes I say to myself, that person is either just ignorant of the scripture, or they're a false teacher. Neither one of those things are good, right? Right? So revisionist history, revisionist church history, revisionist understanding the Bible. You've got to follow the standards that God has set forth. Two, why is this even important? Pastor Joe, just get to the scripture. Two, does it really matter? Let's look at 2 Corinthians eleven three through 4. The Apostle Paul, again, warning the Corinthian church, who had all kinds of problems. It wasn't long after Jesus ascended into heaven, and they're, they're, the church is chaotic. And he's got to help them to get on back on the right track. He says, I fear, lest somehow as the serpent deceived Eve, my opening, by his craftiness, so your minds may be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. For if he who comes preaches another Jesus, right, another Jesus is a false Jesus, Whom we have not preached, if you receive a different spirit, which you have not received, or a different gospel, which you have not accepted, you may well put up with it. So he talks about the people peddling this information. Verses 13 through 15, for such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light. Therefore, it is no great thing if his ministers also transform themselves into ministers of righteousness, whose end will be according to their works. So when Satan comes, whether it was in Genesis or in 2020, he doesn't have a red suit with a pitchfork and scare people. He tries to be your friend. 
He tries to worm this stuff into your hearts and into your mind very surreptitiously because that's how he operates. And Paul is warning us 2,000 years ago, not only the Corinthian church, but us as well, to watch out for these things. Galatians 1, 8, and 9 is in your handout. You can read it at home, but it says basically the same thing. Remember, a false Jesus cannot save. And you, you have to ask a person who comes to you and says, well, this, the Jesus who's the spirit brother of Lucifer is a false Jesus. There's no equivalent between the God who made Lucifer and now making them equivalent. The Jesus who needs a co-redemptrix uh, because he couldn't do the work himself on the cross is a false Jesus. The Jesus who uh, chains is a shapeshifter. He's a man. He becomes Michael the archangel. Then he becomes something else. That's a false Jesus. First of all, if Jesus is just a man, he can't save us. That's like me saying, well, I'm just going to, I'm going to go to the cross and die for my loved ones. I couldn't do that. I don't have that power. I don't have that ability. I don't have that sinlessness. So Jesus couldn't just be a man. Then some will say, well, Jesus was God, but he was created afterwards. Well, that makes Jesus another God. It makes what you believe now polytheism and you're on par with the Greeks and the Romans who don't even, nobody follows that anymore. Didn't last very long, did it? A few hundred years and that was the end of it. So these things are important to look at. There is the true God who can save and then there's false representations who can't save. So let me just put up the, um, the one uh, picture of what the Trinity is and I think it's a good uh, example the image of the Trinity, uh, God, the father, God, the son, God, the Holy spirit, God, father, son, Holy spirit. The son is not the Holy spirit. The son's not the father. The father's not the son, but the son is God. The father is God. The Holy spirit is God. Let me give you a poor analogy (laughs) because people do this. Well, what is God? Pastor Joe, I can only tell you what God has revealed about himself in the scripture. You think that God's revealed all the mysteries that have ever existed in the scripture? He gives us what we need to know. As sinful flesh, there's going to be things we're not going to completely understand because we're sinful flesh. I believe the moment we pass from this life into the next, all understanding is going to be open to us. But we still have enough that we need to know right now. So here's a poor analogy. I'm going to say that right up front. God has created us in his image, and I don't know what it was like before the fall, but I do know that since the fall, we're marred by sin, we're effaced. However, we have three in one as well. We're trichotomous like the Lord is, but we're a poor parallel because we're sinful. We are spirit, we are mind, and we are body. I have a mind, I have a body, I have a spirit, but I'm, I'm Joe DeProsimo, Right? I'm Joe DeProsimo. Unlike the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit who always agreed, sometimes my trichotomous nature doesn't agree. In other words, if I'm coming up to the pulpit and I'm really hungry and thirsty and it's like, well, the fourth song is almost over, you're going to have to stand down, stop rumbling because I've got to preach a sermon. You see the argument between the stomach that says, feed me, or the disciples in the garden who said, we're tired and sleepy and Jesus says, stay awake, and they fall asleep on him. Where their spirit and their mind should have Force them to stay awake for the Lord, but they failed, and we fail. So there's a one little example. And then, last thing before we jump into the scripture is the wheel. The wheel is just a just like this. It's a visual representation, and there's been uh, very good Bible teachers and and churches and ministries that have kind of copied this. But the wheel basically shows, and this is interesting: one God. Scripture says, old, to, old Genesis to Revelation, one God. 
However, the father, or in the Old Testament, is the shepherd. In the New Testament, Jesus steals that title. Well, he's either an imposter or he really is the shepherd and he's part of God, right? Um, Jesus, God the creator. Well, in the New Testament, we see that Jesus is the creator. And we see this in the wheel. So I'm going to go through scriptures in the Old Testament that say one thing. And in the New Testament, they say others. And I'm going to show you that Jesus is God. So for the sake of time, I don't want to reinvent the wheel. We'll move into the scripture. Thank you. Okay, so let's go into the scripture. So, three, Jesus takes all of God's names, characteristics, titles, and if I did that, hopefully all of you would leave this church. If any man did that, man does not have that authority, and I'm going to show you that neither do angels. Only God can take what God says about himself and claim it for himself. Okay, so the I am statements... God in the Old Testament, Exodus 3.14, and I'm just going to paraphrase. You can look at it on your own. Um, Moses is new to the whole leadership thing, and, and you know God's like, you're going to lead my people out of Egypt. And Moses has all the excuses, and he goes, well, who am I going to tell them sent me? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? The people over time, they were in a pagan land, and they started losing their understanding and their devotion and their relationship with Lord, the Lord. So Moses says, who, who am I going to tell all these Israelites and who am I that, that sent me? And, and God says in Exodus three fourteen, yod heh vav heh. It's the I am statement. And I've talked to friends who know Hebrew and it's a very, um, very pregnant with meaning statement. And basically it means I'm the eternal one. I always was, I will always be. I don't have a name like Fred or Bob. I am the I am. I am yod heh vav heh. Okay, John in the New Testament, in 824, Jesus says, I said to you that you will die in your sins, for if you do not believe that ego eimi, which is the Greek equivalent of yod heh vav heh, you will die in your sins. He could have said eimi. Um, if you know Spanish, Greek, Italian, you have verbs, and verbs are conjugated. There's different endings that uh, represent I, you, he, they, we, and they, it's different from English. So this is a, a powerful statement. If you do not believe that I am, yod he vav he, you will die in your sins. Um, Audrey, and, and there's many Jewish believers in this church, and thankfully Audrey a few years ago gives me as a gift the Hebraic Roots Bible, which was translated from Hebrew by Jewish scholars. And boy, when you read the Hebraic Roots Bible, you really get the deity of Christ from the Hebrew to the English. Okay? Therefore I said to you that you will die in your sins, for if you do not believe that I am bold, underlined, and capitalized, you will die in your sins. There's Jesus is saying, I'm God. And why did the religious leaders a few times try to stone him to death? Because they knew that he was claiming to be God, but they didn't buy it yet. All right? So, got a lot of stuff up here. <laughs> In John eight fifty six through 59, the, he's debating with these, these uh, religious scholars who, who, for personal reasons, don't want to accept him as the Messiah. And they say, Jesus says to them, your father Abraham. Now, Abraham lived... How many years B.C.? How many hundreds of years B.C.? 
So Jesus says, your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day. That's anachronistic. That's out of time. And he was glad. And they said to him, you're not even 50 years old yet. And you've seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, most assuredly, I say to you, before Abraham was, watch the grammatical context, before Abraham was, past tense, I am. He didn't say I was, right? Then they took up stones to throw at him. Why? Because he was claiming to be God and they knew it. Something when you move from the, the Hebrew culture um, and the colloquialisms and language structure to the English, you lose something. That's why I'm blessed to have. I've got Greek Bibles. I've got Hebrew Bibles. And they all say the same thing. And there's different translators, different pieces of parchment, 25,000 fragments and whole pieces, scrolls from the New Testament in Coptic, Latin, Hebrew, Greek, Aramaic. And they all translate and they all say the same thing. So how do you know the Bible's true? Has there collusion when everybody was from different cultures, different time periods, different language, and they didn't know each other, but it all says the same thing. Okay, continuing on. Jesus, or let's back up. (laughs) See, I'm putting them together because they do go together. God is the only God, God in the Old Testament. Um, At times, when you look at the Hebrew Bible, and it sometimes comes out in the English, God refers to himself as Elohim, the word I am. Cherubim, seraphim, Elohim. When you have I am, it denotes plurality. So God refers to himself as a a plurality of of a being. He's fully God, three persons, but one God. A little hard for us to understand, I get it. In Deuteronomy 6.4, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, the Shema. You go to a Jewish person's house, and on the side they have the little box, sometimes with a parent in it, is the Shema. Uh, Deuteronomy 6.4. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. The Hebrew word is echad, but not yachid. Yachid is always used as a solitary one. Echad is used as a united one. God is tipping him his hand. He's telling people, even before Jesus comes, that he's a united one, not a solitary one. Jesus now has some names, even in the Old Testament. Isaiah 9.6, right? The Messiah to come. He will be called um, counselor, right? Uh, El Gebor, which means the mighty God. So even before Jesus comes to the earth, he's called the mighty God. John 1.1 in the New Testament, it says this. It says, just have to find it. In the beginning was the word. The word was with God and the word was God. The Lagos, that was a picture Right. John is all about Jesus as the deity of, you know, as as fully God and fully man. He focuses on his deity and he says that in the beginning was the word, meaning Jesus. And the word was God or the word was with God and the word was God. I don't know what how much clearer that has to be. Um, God is the only judge. I'm going to reference this. You could look at it on on your own for the sake of time when you get home. Genesis 18.5. God is the judge of all the earth. Joel 3.12 in the Old Testament. God will sit to judge the surrounding nations. However, in Matthew 25, it's a very long scripture. Jesus comes in his glory. We're going to talk about how God doesn't share his glory. But Jesus comes in his own glory. Right? In in, in, In the second coming. He sits on his throne and he judges the nation. God is the only judge, but Jesus takes his title and his role. He's either got to be God or we shouldn't be in this church anymore worshiping him because he's an imposter. God is the only savior in the Old Testament, Isaiah 43, 10 through 11. 
God says in the Old Testament, understand that I am he before me. There was no God formed, nor shall there be after. For those that think that Jesus was a created being and a created God. Well, if you know your Old Testament, God himself said, I'm the only God. There were none before me formed. He gets a little specific about creation, doesn't he? And people still want to believe that. Um, Nor shall there be after. So the whole created Jesus thing has to go out the window. Um, There shall be after me. I, even I am the Lord. And besides me, this is good. There's no savior. So God says, I I want to be the savior. I'm the only savior. However, Luke 2.11 says, for there is born to you this day. The angels are heralding it to the human beings, right? In the first century. For this, there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. God just said there's no other Savior in the Old Testament. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. He's either God or he's an imposter. Titus 2.13, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearance of our great God and Savior. Greek sentence structure, it means one person, Jesus Christ. Okay? God is the only truth. I'll reference this, Psalm 31.5 in the Old Testament. The Lord God of truth. In the New Testament, John 14.6, Jesus said, I am the truth. You know, I'm the truth. I'm the way. I am the life. Right? I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. When did the Father in the Old Testament have somebody who would stand in the way of his people getting to me, to him? When did that happen? It never did. God had a personal relationship with his people. Here Jesus comes and says, you don't even get to the Father unless you come through me first. Right? God is the first and the, and the last. Now, this is important because when, <clears throat> again, Hebrew, you know, I always like to find my, my friends who fluent in Hebrew so they can give me a little bit more of the flavor. So if you actually came to this church and you really are fluent in Hebrew, can you see me after service? Because I have to dig to find people who know this stuff really well. But I also have the Hebraic Roots Bible, which is very helpful. When God says, I'm the first and the last, what he's saying is, I am eternal. The first and the last. In eternity, there is no first and there is no last. Eternity goes on forever. So that is a way to take our simple, pathetic languages and ascribe a characteristic to God the best we can. God is the eternal one in the Old Testament. Isaiah 44, 6. He says, I am the first and I am the last. Besides me, there is no God. He keeps saying that. However, in the Old Testament, right, Jesus preexisted, right? Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Before he comes in the first century, because Micah 5, 2 is centuries before Jesus comes to the earth. Micah 5, 2, it says about Jesus before he's even takes the form of a man, child, and, and is born into the world. It says this, but you Bethlehem Ephrathah, which is a little town, little town, Judea, there were two Bethlehems. And, and this is just goes to show the immensity and the power of God, how he can take something from little and make something colossal. Though you are little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth are from old, from everlasting. I got news for you. The angels aren't from everlasting. So here God is almost contradicting himself in the Old Testament by saying, no, the one who's going to come. And there's qualifiers here. It's, it's a double positive. His goings forth are from old, from everlasting, just in case you didn't understand from old. You see where I'm going with this? So Jesus is prophesied as the eternal one to come into this world. That's powerful. 
first and the last. Um, Revelation 1, 17 through 18, we covered this in the first chapter. John the Apostle, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. He sees the post-resurrected Jesus. Hey, I remember Jesus, you know, he had kind of olive skin and he had dark curly hair and we ate together and we broke bread together and, and I hugged him and I leaned on his bosom and here John sees Jesus after he, he, was, he died for our sins, was resurrected and ascends into heaven. He looks way different because you see more of his deity come out, right? Pretty exciting. John is like, oh, oh, I've never seen this before. I don't recognize him looking like this. Right, because the man part or the, the flesh part got shed at this point. I get so excited over this stuff. <laughs> I, get, I do get very excited. Okay. But when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead, but he laid his right hand on me saying to me, don't be afraid, I am the first and the last. Wait a minute. In the Old Testament, didn't God say, I'm the only one like that, the first and the last? Here's Jesus saying that again, being facetious. He said, I am he who lives and was dead, and behold, I'm alive forevermore. Amen. I have the keys, keys of Hades and death. Then you have to ask yourself, some people say, they get, they get and they've come to my house on Saturday, and I'm speaking generalities, and they go, well, no, 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 that was God. That was Almighty God. I said, really? When did Almighty God die? Um... We're going to go back and talk to... I, I had elders come to my house. I had church leaders. They were so frustrated with me because I would show them the truth and it didn't jive with their, their, their doctrine. You know what I'm saying? It, it's a false Jesus. How could that be God the Father? When did God the Father die? Only God the Son. He died on the cross, was resurrected, right? Okay. God doesn't share his glory. Um... Isaiah 42, 8, you could look it up. My glory I will not give to another. John 17, 5, in the New Testament, Jesus is praying. He's talking to the Father, and he says, And now, Father, glorify me together with yourself with the glory which I had with you before the world was. The eternal Jesus. Before the world was, he was with the Father, and they both shared glory. Now he's in the form of a man, and he has to die for our sins. He's got to be re resurrected ascended into glory sitting at the right hand of the father so here jesus is having this intimate prayer you know god the son god the father and he's saying glorify me together with yourself with the glory which i had with you before the world was i thought god didn't share his glory what about this one you're going to love this one i saved this one almost for last <laughs> um i can only god forgive sins well apparently jesus can too Mark 2, 5 through 12. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic. Now remember, this is the one where, where the man is, is probably a, a quadriplegic. They can't get him to see Jesus because of the crowds. Jesus is in sort of a house and, and they go up on the roof. Boy, dedication of friends, man. Those are the type of friends to have. They carry the poor man up and they remove the thatching and they lower the man so that Jesus can touch him. Because there's no way he could have gotten to Jesus. So when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven you. Wait a minute, I came here to be healed. I wasn't expecting this. Um, and some of the scribes, the religious leaders, were sitting there and reasoning in their hearts, which means they were thinking this. They didn't say it out loud. You don't want to spoil the moment. Why does this man speak blasphemies like this? Who can forgive sins but God alone? 
But immediately when Jesus perceived in his spirit that they reasoned within themselves, he said to them, why do you reason about these things in your heart? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven you, or to say, arise, take up your bed and walk. They're both difficult, impossible for me and you, but Jesus could do it. He's making an analogy here. But that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, arise, take up your bed and go to your house. Immediately he rose, took up the bed and went out in the presence of them all so that they were amazed and glorified God saying, we never saw anything like this. Jesus does three things. The first thing he does, did the man have a congenital issue? Did he have a severed, um, you know, spinal cord? Were the nerves a neck injury and, and they severed the nerves and, you know, he can only do eating and breathing, but heartbeat, but the rest of the stuff was, was done. It was dead. We don't know. But Jesus, with a word, the man is immediately healed. What about when somebody is disabled for a long time? They have muscle atrophy. Their muscle starts to shrink. There's no way he could have gotten up with his muscles not being used maybe for years. But his muscles regenerate. This is an incredible miracle. So that's the first thing Jesus did. Here's the second thing that Jesus did. He forgives the man's sins. None of us could do that, right? Only God can forgive sins. The third, I don't know if you caught this, was he could read minds. Sometimes we say to our spouse, what am I, a mind reader? Because none of us are, right? Come on, some of you have said that. Uh, <laughs> whatever. <laughs> but Come on, you're laughing. Some of you said that. But none of us can. We're not mind readers. It's a rhetorical question that is supposed to get a no for an answer. But Jesus could read minds. He knew what they were thinking, and he, he answers vocally and out loud what they were thinking. They were all sitting there, probably real mad. The people were rejoicing, they were praising, and they didn't want to be party poopers, but they were really seething at this blasphemy that this man is saying, and they were all thinking it. And Jesus exposes their thoughts. There's something else to add to the mix. Jesus can read minds. God is the only one to receive worship, right? The Ten Commandments, Exodus 20, 3 through 4. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not worship them. You shall not make an image and bow down. God is very specific that only he gets worship. Let me add this to the mix. In Revelation 19.10 and 22.9, which we didn't get to yet, John, just, just picture being John. You're, you're given this tour of the beast and the, and the wars. And, you know, this is Revelation. And it's just a mere man. It's probably sensory overload. He has a, a paroxysm or something. And you, you can't fault John. He's right next to the angel. The angel sort of his tour guide. He falls down and worships at his feet. John's not thinking. And the angel's like, get up. See that you do not do that. I'm your fellow servant. Worship God only. Can you imagine the angel saying, John, you're going to get me in trouble. You better get yourself up off the floor. I'm not supposed to get worship. I'm just an angel. So the angels don't receive worship. Isn't that what got Lucifer in trouble? Immediately, bam, like lightning, Jesus said. I saw him fall from heaven. Didn't take very long. <laughs> so, but Jesus in Luke 24, 52, um, following the resurrection, his followers worship him. Jesus 20, or I'm sorry, back up, slow down, Joe. Luke 24, 52, Jesus' followers worship Jesus. He doesn't stop them from doing it. John 20, 28, doubting Thomas. Um, I don't care, the rest of you guys think you saw Jesus raised from the dead. If I don't put my fingers in the holes, in his side and in, in the wounds, uh, you, you can count me out. That's my paraphrase. 
Jesus appears. He lets Thomas put his fingers there. And then he says this in the Greek. He goes, ha mu kai ha mu. So if you understand the Granville Sharp's rules of Greek sentence structure, when you have the exact same uh, phrase on each side of the chi, which is the and, the chi becomes an equivalent sign. So I've talked to people who don't believe Jesus is God, and they said, like they were there, Thomas must have said, my Lord, and looked up and said, my God. But when you know Greek, you realize he's speaking about the same person. Hakorias mu kai hatheias mu. It's all Greek to me. And then God is the only shepherd. In the Old Testament, um, you have Isaiah 40, 10 through 11. God is the shepherd. Psalm 23, who's that about? The Psalm of the Good Shepherd. Well, that's in the Old Testament. Jesus wasn't even here yet. So the, the, the psalmist is, is speaking about God as his shepherd. Well, here comes Jesus in the New Testament. John 10, 11, he says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. Okay, only God raises the dead. Resurrection gives eternal life. That, that's a tall order, right? That's a really tall order to, to be able to fill. Isaiah forty three thirteen. God says, there is no one who can deliver out of my hand. I will work and who will reverse it. God is very serious about his sheep. And once he has a hold of them, not Satan, not the dem- demonic world, nobody can take. And Jesus says the same thing in the New Testament, doesn't he? Uh, many different ways. In John 10, 28 through 30, it's in your uh, handout. We see the Father and the Son can give eternal life, and no one can deliver out of the Father's hand or the Son's hand. So the Son is, you know, he, he's part of this. John eleven twenty five, Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. That is a really bold statement. It's one thing to pray and somebody's raised from the dead. It's another thing to say, I am the resurrection. Nobody on this earth could say something like that. I'm the resurrection and the life. And John 5, 21, the son gives life to whom he will. He chooses who to give life to. Even about his own life, John 10, 18, what did Jesus say about the crucifixion? Did the Romans take his life? No. Did the Jews take his life? No. Jesus said, I lay my life down. No one takes it from me. And then I take it up again. How is that possible? When you die, that's it, right? No, he's fully God and fully man. He laid it down so that he could die for our sins. And he takes it up again. And he says that before it actually happens. This is why if there wasn't a resurrection, none of us should be sitting here. Other. John fourteen nine, Jesus says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Who can say that? Please don't say that to me, because I'm going to send you for an eval. John, John uh, 14, 11, Jesus says, I am in the Father, and the Father is in me. And let's not forget, I think it was like the day before, maybe yesterday, I'm like, oh, the transfiguration. How could I forget that? I wrote it in big capital letters, so I didn't miss it. Jesus goes up on the mountain, and he's, you know, got three disciples with him, and all of a sudden... You can't, he can't contain his deity anymore. I'm sure he did it on purpose. And this, they're trying to describe in the gospels, I think three out of the four gospels have it. And they're trying to say his clothes, his face was white, like, like no launderer could bleach. You've seen bleaching white, the color white. No, this was different. What the humans were saying was we've never seen anything like this. It's, it just, it just came out like his, it came through his skin, his muscles, his blood vessels, 
and, and the three disciples are running around like chickens, you know, um, without heads. And they're trying to build little shelters because Moses and Elijah are there. They, they appeared. Um, they don't know what to do. And the father says from heaven, like, stop, hear him. This is my son, you know. But we want to do as people, don't we? We have a, people today do it. They get saved and it's an awesome thing. You know, you come to the Lord and I was like that. What, Lord, like when you really have an experience with God, you're like, Lord, what can I do? I want to do something to further the kingdoms. Anything, Lord, just give me something to do. And God was like, "Mm, you'll get it. You'll see. (laughs) So careful what you ask for. Um, But the point is that, and it's a good thing. And we have to temper that with, with, here's the application is, is following him, walking with him, listening to him, praying, reading the word. I mean, we live in a world and a culture that's full of misinformation, you know? And like I said, last Sunday, I can tell a Christian who by our conversation that they've been watching more TV than they've been reading the Bible because they start to parrot things on TV and some of them aren't true. And it's not a good look for us as Christians. We need to be in the word. You know what I'm saying? This is where it's at. This is, this is the hope for the world. This is the hope for such a divided country that we're, we're living in. You know, not yelling at the television. It's going out there and doing personal ministry. Even if you walk around your neighborhood, I can't do anything. All right. Can you walk around your neighborhood and just silently pray for your neighbors? You know, I, I do that. I love my neighbors. I want to see them all get saved. Um, so a lot of good stuff here, you know, I would just say this, I grew up and I was born into a religion, a denomination, and I did not know the Lord. And I was not interested in getting involved in a religion. I could care less. I didn't even follow my own religion. I wouldn't even be here today if I did not do the research and see that this is true. I mean, I could We'll see this in the apologetics class. I could be here for hours and just show you through paleography, through science, through prophecy, through, you know, medical things that were explained thousands of years before the microscope, the electron microscope. And I've done that. I've weaved that through my services. But this is the bottom line. I would have never become a Christian if this wasn't real. I don't want to change religions. Who cares? But John 3.16 says this, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever would believe in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. He did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but the world through him might be saved. Right? And that's what it's all about. You know, God, he's so good to us. He creates, we're not in perfection now because the creation is marred by sin, but he creates perfection. He puts humans there he lets them tend his, his, his kingdom and multiply and, and just have a really good time and they fail. And then he goes to great lengths to redeem them instead of wiping everything away and starting over with new people. That's the type of God that he is. And you have to understand that Jesus is God because without God, we can't be saved. So God does the, and you know what's amazing? He gives us free will. Why is there so much evil in the earth? Because a lot of people use their free will for the wrong things. But he's given us a choice. He's given us proof. He's shown us so many things to come to him. And many do, but many don't. And he still loves those people. He still loves those people. Um, could, a, could a mere man say all these things? Absolutely not. And I, I, only cover, I only scratched the surface. 
again, for the sake of time, I could have you here another hour or so. I'm sure you'll appreciate that I'm not going to. But God gave us everything we need to know at our level. And it's, you know, it's good to thirst for knowledge. But again, there's just going to be some things we're not fully going to understand until we're in his presence. John 10, 24 through 25. I'm going to leave you with this last scripture. When it says, then the Jews surrounded him. Remember, there's Jewish people writing this. So what they were talking about was the Jewish leadership. It was the, the echelon of the religious men that when they barked, everybody was silent. So the, the masses would watch the interactions between Jesus and the religious leaders. And they, they tried so bad to get him into a trap because they were losing followers. Jesus came to die for our sins. He didn't come to be a rock star, but people naturally followed him. So they surrounded him and said to him, I love this. How long do you keep us in doubt? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. I love the Lord's answer. He goes, I told you and you do not believe. The works that I do in my father's name, they bear witness of me. Jesus tells them, I told you. I've said it over and over again. He said it so many different ways. And folks, sometimes we, God is trying to reach us and we're not listening. God's not going to kick the door in. He's not going to overrule our free will. He's going to try to get our attention. And and when we get to heaven or we die, we're going to see that God made so many attempts. I believe he gives every person a chance at salvation. Every person. I don't care where they live. I don't care what religion they're a part of. Before they die, he reaches them. In North Korea and Iran, where Christian radio is not even allowed, they jam signals from border countries. God's coming in. Joel tells us, the, the prophet Joel in the Old Testament, there'll be visions and dreams and, and people are reporting, waking up and saying, oh my goodness, Jesus came to me in a dream. And he tells, they tell everybody else in the village. These oppressive governments can't even stop Jesus from getting to the people. That's how powerful he is. And um, we, we have had missionaries in Afghanistan, in ISIS territory, in Bahrain, in the Arabian Peninsula. And I just love when they tell me these incredible accounts. So in the meantime, I would just say that, that we should, listen, we're going to be held accountable for what we hear. And nobody in this room or watching on the live stream can say, I never heard. Now that you're presented with the truth, you have to research that truth. If you had a disease, you would go to a doctor and you say, how do I get rid of this? Well, we all have been born into this world with a disease and the disease is sin, spiritual disease. But Jesus has the cure. Nobody gets a diagnosis and says, I'm just going to wing it. I'm not going to do anything. They get a second opinion. They find out about treatments. They, They inquire. Everybody goes on the WebMD, right? So here's something more important than our physical bodies that last 80, 90, 100 years. So I just want to encourage you folks. Today was a little bit of a different sermon, but I felt it was a timely message. Consider the truths that God espouses in the word and respond to those truths. Let's pray. You've been listening to To Every Generation from Calvary Chapel Crossfield. We're located at 15 Half Acre Road, in Jamesburg, New Jersey. We meet for Bible study Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. 
and Sunday service begins at 10.30 a.m. On Sundays, we have children's church for all ages, in addition to infant and nursery care. You can find out more about the ministry here at Calvary Chapel Crossfields by going to cccrossfields.org. Thanks for listening, and may God bless you.